Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is John Steele. John is a licensed marriage and family therapist who has focused his private practice on treating high-performance clients, including athletes and professionals. With personal experience as a former collegiate athlete, John combines the complexities of the athlete's experience with the performance of professional life. His experiences and his specialties include treating anxiety, trauma, grief, addiction, and building mental fitness. Whether working with athletes or high-achieving professionals, he helps his clients combat shame, build healthy coping strategies, and increase self-compassion amidst high-pressure environments. Today, we brought John onto the show to talk about working with athletes who experience injuries, who are recovering from trauma, and the life transition out of sports. John, it's so nice to have you here. Welcome to the show. I uh, appreciate it, Graham. Yeah, excited to uh, be able to dig into some of these topics and uh, yeah, just be able to go from there. So Looking forward to it with you as well. You're a pretty good-sized guy, and I understand you were an athlete yourself. Share with us uh, your sports history and how this led you into your current practice with high performers. Yeah, I got the privilege to enjoy an athletic career, including collegiate athletics. So baseball was my sport. Where'd you from, play? So I pitched. I pitched okay. in college and did that. Yeah, you know, I played baseball, right, since like T-ball, you know, age, yeah. age four, right, all the way through. And, you know, I just love sports just in general. So I grabbed on to just about anything. But a big part of my story, you know, is the, is the sports piece, is the ability mm. to compete you know, learning so much from it, you know, and now kind of having a different perspective as well as going through and, you know, whether it's sitting with clients, going from schooling as a marriage and family therapist and what that's brought to it. And then a lot of just self-reflection and evaluation and walking through that. And so now kind of combining a lot of those has kind of brought me to where I am today and continued growth. And so being able to, to play was yeah, absolutely amazing. I loved it. It, it almost gets a little cliche-ish to say, but you learn so much through sports. It doesn't mean you can't learn a lot from being in an orchestra or being part of a club, but being an athlete, you know that that there are so many lessons that you learn from sports, discipline, self-sacrifice, postponement gratification, teamwork, denying, you know, denying yourself and working for a larger purpose, et cetera, goal setting, all those things that are, that are just so uh, applicable to life in general. We're going to be focusing a little bit today on the side that's oftentimes a little tougher when someone goes through an injury and how to get through those things and also the, the the whole process of transitioning out of sports. But I think often we don't fully appreciate the degree of pressure on elite athletes. We can even say high performance in other areas as well. And this can, you know, as I'm saying, can extend to high high performance in other, other fields as well. And that, you know, the training loads and the performance demands, the suck it up mantras that we all, you know, have to live with under to, to, to function in many ways. And, and the win at all cost mentalities, and it presents a unique concern for the mental health among athletes that oftentimes doesn't get under, you know, understood or, or really mined down into to be explored. And then injury can hit. And this can impact one's athletic career or one's, including one's personal identity and self-value that is so wrapped up in their sport and the loss of their sport and of their identity is truly an impactful experience. Help us understand some of the challenges in your work that you see athletes facing 
after an injury and in their recovery process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've kind of recognized, and I think both the topics you're bringing up, you know, one is the injury, you know, kind of this immediate change, this event, you know, that happens. And then I know, I think we'll, we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more too about just transition, you know, and recently what's been helpful for me to really get out there and wrap my own mind around is, you know, the idea that that change, you know, that happens, that injury is an event. Transition is a process that both of those are different and they have their own impact. So, I mean, when we're speaking, you know, exactly what you're mentioning, you know, for, I'll, I'll get a little, I'll get a little personal with me because that's kind of how I roll a little bit. But for me, you know, I went through a pretty uh, severe arm injury, you know, through college. It's, it was right in the middle of my collegiate career. You know, I remember it to this day, you know, to yeah, the, the batter, to the pitch, you know, I'm not sure, Graham, how familiar you are with baseball, but you know, for me, one of my go-to pitches was a changeup, mm-hmm. right? And so in throwing a changeup, I, I threw a circle change mm-hmm. like so. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of that movement was when I would throw it, I would turn. Well, not knowing over time, that put some stress on my elbow. And so mm-hmm. uh, sure enough, in a game, my elbow ligament snapped as I threw that circle change. Yeah, it's so- funny how aggressive a changeup actually is. Oh, man. It's an right? aggressive you're, pitch. Yeah. You're replicating, right? I mean, we could probably go into it. I hear it in your voice a little bit. We could get get into that dynamic, but it is, right? It's 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 one of those. And going through the injury itself, you know, I recall calling like basically walking around the mound, right? And being like, okay, something's off. You know, I remember calling my coach over and saying, hey, I think I'm done for the day. I remember going up to the trainer and being like, ah, at the worst, this is probably just, you know, some tendonitis that I've worked through before. A couple of weeks I'm out on the field again. Then hearing like whispers of this could be more. This could be surgery. This ended up being Tommy John surgery is what ended mm-hmm. up being for me, which in itself, I think in the injury portion that you're referencing you know, there is some of the immediate symptoms, you know, that you, what I would say you naturally go through, but acknowledging those natural symptoms, I would say is probably one of the first things that I, I do with clients, but also that I had to work through myself, you know, just symptoms, say more about that, right? Natural symptoms. So things like, for instance, you're in shock, If this happened on the field, if this happened somewhere, you know, you are in shock and you are moving through that to get to a place of then being able to make next steps, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I recall that, you know, like there was a dizzy room that was happening in that trainer room, right? I, I can just pull myself back into that and recognize a lot of it is the what ifs, right? That start to kick in, you know? And, and so as you're walking through the physical you know, yeah. not only the arm injury, but if we're focusing on the mental health aspect of it, yeah. you know, you're talking about the impact of what anxiety does to your body, you know, and, and as you're walking through those symptoms, one thing I recognized is being able to acknowledge those without judgment is a huge part of it. It's just being able to say, this is what I'm going through mm-hmm. in this moment. This is Mm. what I'm experiencing. Not that this is what I shouldn't be experiencing. Mm -hmm. I can't go down that road. Mm -hmm. It's really this, this is me. This is where I'm at. Right. And the ability to accept that moment 
yeah. is, is probably one of the biggest things that I start with in regards to walking somebody through injury. I like that idea. It's almost a subject object relationship where, you know, the subject to us and the object is the experience and how we get to hold a, a grounded sense of ourselves, but we're looking at something else, something that we're, we're in without having to be so wrapped up in it. In, yep. in those moments, a lot can come with it. There, there can be, you know, the, the loss, maybe some of the rejection you're talking about, maybe things like anxiety or, or maybe even one kind of getting down on themselves, maybe even a shame-based, you know, stance that they might start taking. Talk about some of the things that can be not so ideal in terms of mm -hmm. one's response. Yeah. You know, I think the, you know, you hit on definitely a bunch of those. And I think one of them to pinpoint is really probably the shame, you know, when the shame piece can set in, you know, and someone once told me, gave me kind of some quick definitions, which I appreciated, you know, the difference between something that you have regret over the idea of, I wish this was different has a, a feel to it. Guilt has, I made a mistake. Yeah. You know, but it stays at the mistake. Shane yeah. takes it to, I made a mistake and I am that mistake. I am the mistake. Yeah. Right. Like it takes it that's to huge. that inward piece. And that's yeah. right. Like when you get into that shame, yeah. that's when I think a lot of the stuck can happen, yeah. you know, through trainings and working with a lot of trauma, a big piece of that is really being able to allow people to move out of the stuck that they're in. You know, one of the one of the definitions I, I kind of appreciate about trauma is fight, flight, freeze, get stuck in your body. You know, and one of the processes is you're just trying to release, you know, and get out of that stuck. Yeah. And, you know, I take that one with me, right? Whether it's working with, you know, athletes and injury you know, and, and other scenarios, you know, that happen, you know, with people, you know, in that way, but that stuck piece and shame, I think that's the one that I, I recognize one of the, the most. I think what's hard around shame, and I, I love that definition, you know, guilt is what I do. Shame is who I am. And this injury, this event can very easily, because so much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do. And who we see ourselves becoming, particularly those at, you know, high level performers like yourself at our identity, how we're seen, how people see us, how we think, what we do during the week, you know, our, our week is usually as good as our last weekend performance type of thing. Yep. And, and we look forward to things. Everything is, everything is highlighted and focused by that. And all of a sudden that changes and we begin to think, well, what does it say about me now? And we begin to unknowingly slowly kind of go down that slippery slope of potentially going down a shame path, don't we? Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. I think you, you named it right there. You know, when you are in that spot where shame is really kind of just enveloping you, you know, I, I picture it sometimes as this darkness, you know, that can come in and, and what you're trying to do to work towards what I would say is bringing light, you know, to that darkness. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with, I think, exactly what you're speaking to, you know, the way that the connection of performance based, I am yeah. good because I performed good. That's right. You know, versus the separation, you know, yeah. and what happens there. And I mean, talk about how difficult that is. You know, if we stick in athletics, you are constantly critiqued. That's right. You know, you are constantly judged and rightfully so in some ways, I would say in a healthy way, because results sure. are on the scoreboard. Sure. You know, wins or losses are 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 up there. Stats it, are yeah. up there for the reasons yeah. that they are. 
there has to be that point to it. It's not like, oh, it can't be all that, but it, it, there, there's a part of it that realistically has to be that, but it can't be all of that. Yes. I love yeah. that. Yep, yeah. I love that. Right. Like that separation of who mm -hmm. you are versus what you do. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it took me a while at times. I, I, I still struggle with that. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it took me a while to really separate that one for myself. And, yeah. And as I started to do that, and this was, you know, post collegiate career, you know, yeah. looking back, you know, going through some of the journey that I have to where I am today, you know, as I've seen that, you know, there has been much more of a freeing experience yeah. to where shame, right, can just hold on to you and grip you in these ways and create that stuck versus what it means to really be able to separate and kind of experience more freedom. So, you know, I I really appreciate the, that description. You know, you're talking about. I think a couple of things come to mind: shame versus guilt, who I am versus what I've done. You know, and this idea also maybe extending it a wee bit to a couple of areas. We look at goals, and we can and and sports tend to be kind of performance based, outcome based goals. You know, you're you're as good as how many points you you know scored. You're as good as how many strikes you threw. You're as good as your, you know, ERA, whatever, whatever, whatever it may be. That's that's performance based, and we can't always control that, but we can control maybe our effort based goals. Yeah. How focused were you? How did you practice? How did you follow through on what your, you know, your mindset was for that game? So those are things we can control. Performance based, we can't control. Effort based, we always can for the most part. But you're also talking about this idea of kind of the locus of control, what what's within our control and what's outside of our control, and. When you talk about shame versus guilt, sometimes the guilt is, you know, I, I did something, but it was outside of my control and I have to accept that. So that's that internal, external locus of control piece right there. And these yeah. kind of seem to go together in many ways, don't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. They do. You know, I love what you're talking about in regards to, you know, when it comes to effort versus outcome, you know, yeah. and, and I think really being able to bring somebody into that space of effort, you mm -hmm. know, that's that separation. You know, that's yeah. that separation, you know, that that the outcome is there. And like you're saying, outcome is pretty much out of your control, you yes. know, in that sense, you know, as best as you can do. And so, you know, when you're speaking about that spot, you know, when it comes to outcome itself and the control piece, you know, one of the exercises that I've run through before uh, a helpful tool is just this idea of prioritizing control what's in your control and what's out of mm. your control. Mm. You know, there's this little graph, you know, that I've used before a four quadrant and one of them, you know, says control. And really you're trying to simplify it as much as possible and just answer the question. Yes or no. Yeah. The other part on the bottom is essentially time, the duration, mm. you know, yes, this is in my control and yes, it needs to be done today. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing. And then being able to eliminate for that period of time, the other three boxes, right? So you're trying to stick it in that one box that says yes, and it's important, you know? And I think that tool I've recognized in, in, in its simplicity, it's something that says, hey, let's be able to take a breath, settle in and focus in on that one quadrant, yeah. you know, allow the others for this moment to move their way through and let go of those. And let's get into that one section right there. I think um, that idea of kind of right-sizing reality mm. can be very freeing because a lot of times as athletes, you know, you you don't limit yourself. You think about what can be and 
and you think outside of the the, the box a lot, which is a necessary piece too. Yeah. But like you said, there are times when we need to think not necessarily inside the box in an inhibited way, but sometimes right-sizing reality is actually very freeing. We don't have to put the same pressures on ourselves. We get to be in a moment with the reality base that, well, this is what it is and what kind of effort can I bring to this? And, you know, as you talk about the effort around this, I know that an athlete's mindset is everything in their performance success and recovery, both mentally and physically. When you think about it, it's another effort-based opportunity for people to see that, hey, this is what you did in your sports. This gets to be the same kind of effort. How do you help folks mentally and emotionally prepare to enter that recovery journey, maybe even in an effort-based way? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, you know, and, and a great question in regards to focusing in when somebody is leading into, you know, the recovery process. I think, you know, a part of that process I've recognized is, you know, a connection with the acceptance and reality of grief for a portion mm-hmm. of time that, you know, you have, and the reality is, is you have lost. Yes something, you know, during that time. And it's kind of proverbial Kubler-Ross's stages, isn't uh, it? Yep, even, yep. even, you know, even after acceptance, there's going to be a transcendent period, even in recovery, but it's almost framing it like that is what you're suggesting. Yeah. Yeah. Big time, right? The, that model, the Kubler-Ross, I think, yeah. you know, being able to bring that at times in front of people to give them a little structure yeah. in that moment, right? Yeah. When everything feels lost. Yes. You know, and, and I think that's a, that's a part of, you know, that moment when people are leading into, you know, recovery of taking a moment and saying, Hey, it's okay yeah. to acknowledge this, right? That loss has happened. I'll throw in a big and, right. And, you know, we are going to work on some practices, you know, to be able to move you through, and in this case, mentally and emotionally, the recovery process. And so one of those, you know, things that, that I would point towards is probably is more the probably twofold. One is the practice of grounding. Mm. How is it that you are going to consistently ground yourself amidst overwhelming moments? Because those are going to happen. You know, you are going to feel overwhelmed in this process. There is the natural thing of anxiousness that's going to kick in, the what ifs, the out of your control. So what is it that you do to ground yourself? Yeah. So pull yourself from that moment of overwhelm into a place where you can say, okay, let's take this moment. You yes. know, you, you you notice already for me, I naturally go to you breath. pause. Yeah, you got to pause. <laughs> uh, it, right? So you're talking about pausing in that moment to stop. And oftentimes unconscious process that can take you down its road versus you pausing for a moment and choosing in that moment to go down another. Big time. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. 
Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com slash bht. That's hellotriad.com slash bht. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. Right. Cause I think, you know, and I love that because there is those, there's plenty of those forks, right? And probably I yes. would say you could, you yeah. could, you could grab that fork at about any time, even when it feels like it's lost, right? right? But when you can settle and when you can get into that spot where you can say, okay, I can breathe, mm -hmm. I can settle, I can ground. And mm -hmm. I think that's a part of this whole thing. You know, one of the things I've been gravitating more and more is this idea of mental fitness. Mm -hmm. How is it that you are consistently preparing yourself for these moments? Because these moments happen injury, right. transition, all kinds of things. I think what, what you're raising that I love is that oftentimes these choices get made unconsciously. We don't know that we're making them. Yep. And what you're saying is we're making the unconscious conscious, the whole idea of therapy, you know, the therapy, but we can bring this into, you know, any aspect of our lives. And since we're talking about athletes, they can bring it into a conscious awareness of I'm at this, I'm, I'm going down this, maybe even this right fork, but along the way, I can I can be you know confronted by with a crossroads again, and I get to choose every moment which direction I tend to go. I've got control over that, and if I can effort in the right way, I can can I can transcend this moment into something maybe more resilient, something where I can grow, something where I can be proud of myself, yeah. and I can be in I can be in this moment in a very different way, even if the moment sucks. Yeah. Right. Graham, what you were speaking to right there, you know, definitely moved into, and in this case, whether it is the mental fitness piece, mm -hmm. right, of this moment that you have to be able to choose that that actually exists. It's almost like you have the emotional muscle that you've built up that in that challenging moment, I've got the emotional muscle, which translates into my mental fitness to decide rather than to be controlled by, if I hear you right. You got it. Yeah, right. Like That's it is cool. something that just as you develop the physical side, right? And this is what I think reached me. Yeah. I know it's reached other athletes and you know, whoever it is that's I think has maybe even an active lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know, there is this idea that you continue to build fitness mentally and emotionally as well. Mm -hmm. And how mm -hmm. is it that you do that? I think the word intentional keeps mm -hmm. coming to mind that you are intentionally building life resilience yeah. versus life hitting you because life is going to continue to do that. It's going to continue to hit you in those ways. But if you are in that space of continually building intentional life resilience through mm -hmm. mental fitness, then you're talking about some of these practices, you know, breath, you know, how often is it that you are just taking a moment throughout the day, to just breathe. Yeah. Turn you know, that fight to, or flight off. Right. Yeah. There's, I, and yeah. I think you, you go through it and in the subconscious you referenced earlier, I don't think we quite know how often we can yeah. transition into overwhelm. Right. How, how often that we function in those moments. You bet. And so 
you know, that's where mental fitness, I think, has really been something I've just gravitated more and more towards and said, okay, it makes sense that this practice continues to be a part of life. And so, like you were saying, whether it's somebody going into recovery, you know, like, let's get into what is your practices? You know, what are some of these things that you can establish? And usually people don't know that they already do this stuff. You know, in some way, it's highlighting some of the things they already do. I love to start with that. And then it's saying, hey, let's bring on some things, you know, that can also help to ground you and and be able to then go from there. I think it's funny. Sometimes people forget that they've survived all their worst days in their lives. Yeah. And they've done something to get there. You know, they've, yep. they've been resilient along the way. And there's a strength-based piece to them that they oftentimes forget. And and you're yep. talking about here, this mental and emotional kind of muscle, this fitness. And I know that when an athlete or a high performer loses their edge, it's not uncommon for doubt to creep in. Yep. How do you help folks understand and maybe ideally right-size their self-doubt and their recovery process as they're going through it? Yeah, you know, I think that that section of doubt, when doubt kicks in, I think you are looking at the spot where something like the potential mm. shame can connect to doubt. Good point. You know, where in that area, doubt itself, I think, is okay. You know, mm-hmm. doubt itself can be natural. Yes. You know, there is so much of the process that I have realized is this real separation of when something like shame can then kick in and move everything to a different level. So, you know, this is where a game changer for me was this idea of self-compassion, was this idea of kindness, empathy towards mm. self. Mm. It is so impactful and freeing that when you hit doubt, Doubt actually stays at doubt. Yeah. And that's it. And it doesn't move to something like, oh no, I'm doubting myself, my right. ability, my identity, my everything. What it does is it says, oh, I see you, doubt. Yeah. I recognize that there's some reality to that doubt. And I can move through that doubt because of the kindness I can show myself. Because of what that does, instead of, I've latched on, I'll throw one more model here, just um, one I've been working with and and going through is there's this concept of positive intelligence. Guy by the name of Dr. Shirzad came up with uh, a lot of combinations, but one of the things that he brings is this inner dialogue. I love the way that he brings the idea of we have our judges. Everyone has a judge. We have our own saboteurs. Is, is some of his language as well. And we have the wise voice, the sage mm. that is all within us. And the beauty of being able to identify when the judge kicks in, the shame, that's what I think of. When I think judge, I think shame. And that judge comes in and is really pounding you. And the ability to see it and move towards wisdom and sage instead And so just recognizing that in those moments that you're talking about, I think that transition is is one of the key pieces, that empathy, that kindness towards self that you can really embrace, that sage, you know, that that's a part of that process. This is where I think therapy gets to be so helpful, where 
sometimes folks don't know what they have access to in these types of things, whether it's something they can learn or whether it's something that's already inside of them that they don't recognize and know that they can tap into at any time in a helpful, you know, in, in a very helpful way through yeah. moments like this, this internal dialogue is taking place. Most of us don't recognize the internal dialogue is so familiar to us and it happens just that quickly and it defines yeah. everything. Yeah. It makes us better. It makes us worse. It, it frees us up or gets us stuck. Just like you're saying here and that self-compassion empathy. And those are words we toss around. They're good words. Yeah. But what does that mean? How do we operationalize that in this work? And what you're describing right here is just that. And I'm curious as we take those constructs and those concepts there, what are some of the mental and emotional strategies or maybe ways that you found effective for folks, let's say going through a recovery process that you maybe have to teach them or help them learn or tap into? Give us some sense of, for example, you you mentioned breathwork being one of them, but yeah. take us in others. Yeah, yeah. So if it's kind of leading into post-breathwork, post-grounding, as we're moving into the next step, a lot of it has to do with identifying that dialogue. Mm -hmm. So there will be exercises that I've run before and, and the combination of being able to mostly people hear the judge really clearly. Oh, they yeah. know that one right away. So I've done some exercises in regards to let's get to know. Let's get to know whether it is in this case, you know, being able to hear that harmful dialogue. Right. Because I think what I've seen is if you can acknowledge it and if you can identify it, then you can change it. If you can't, you know, then then we're we're talking, you know, we still need to to breathe, right? We still need to center, right? We still need to get to that place of being able to say, hey, you know, there it is, right there. With the idea of, and in this case, maybe judge or harsh critic in life, one of the things I've seen very impactful is the separation of that that you are not that judge. You know, a mm. lot of people in their language, you know, I keep speaking to myself this way, right? Yeah. I keep sharing, I keep talking about myself this way. And what that means to be able to next step, take that and separate it. Yeah. You know, be able to say, hey, like, wait a second, you know, let's, let's pause that and let's recognize that that could be harmful anxiety talking to you. You know, that could be harmful depression talking to you. That could be some of these other, you know, components talking to you in that way, because I believe that you're different. I believe that you have that wisdom. I hate you have that beauty. You have that strength. You have that resilience that is within you. Yeah. In those moments, you're really introducing folks to a part of themselves that while they may have tapped into to a degree in their sport, but you're, you're introducing just a whole nother dimension of themselves that they may or not be that aware, but you, they can, they can really grow and use kind of maybe in that sage type where you talked about earlier to really yep. walk them through various aspects of their life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those that I think combining with what I have learned with the ability to ground, you know, and, and that's kind of the trauma background. Mm -hmm. being able to move somebody and, and being able to help them, you know, move to a place of grounding that then can identify that inner dialogue. Yeah, I think really. that's probably some of the, you know, the, the, the big work, you know, that happens, you know, in those moments. And when you're talking, preparing for recovery, you know, when you're talking about preparing for life transition, 
you know, and, and that process and what that looks like mm-hmm. being able to identify that dialogue and be able to switch it, you know, and interact with it differently, I think is huge. Yeah. Well, let's transition into, into transition. This idea that, you know, there, there are many seasons yeah. of an athlete's life. And that at some point one's identity through the athletic lens has to change. All good things come to an end, you know, at some point. And, and an end doesn't mean necessarily, you know, it has to be tragic. Sometimes, sometimes it is. And sometimes it's injury related. Sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's just an aging process or maybe a change in one's focus or priorities. And yeah. Walk us through some of the ways that you help athletes right size and properly name some of the inherent challenges in the transition yeah. process. And how do you walk them through that? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, with that transition model, you know, I, I've just always appreciated something that I can see, <laughs> that I can yeah. visualize, and that I can also use and say, hey, like, let's take a look at this because the conceptual piece of it can be so overwhelming, confusing. There's a lot to it. And, you know, with the idea of that transition model or that transition curve, I think there's two pieces that I can, I find myself as a therapist in. One is usually that beginning, you know, and they actually, the term is kind of used as an ending. Mm. That ending that's there is really that letting go. And I think it's really the mourning process, the grief process that you are walking through. So part of that is really being able to get into that space and say, hey, like we need to sit with this a little bit. You are in, and I think this is where I, you know, I was really helpful to go through the difference between maybe injury and that being an event versus this being a process and being able to kind of reset the expectations a little bit here and say, Hey, we're going to be in a process here. This is, this is big. You know, this, this involves a lot to be able to move through. And first is really this grieving section. You know, there is this spot where you're going to walk through grief symptoms, mourning symptoms, you know, and that's, that's a whole slew, right? Like there's, there's a lot that's there. And so I find myself first being able to share that, being able to sit with that, that grieving process. Sometimes it's run through a little bit of Kubler-Ross, right? Run through the, the stages and the steps, you know, of what that looks like being able to, to then get to some of this place of, you know, acceptance, you know, and what that looks like. And then there's this curve portion that happens. And I think in the model itself, you'll see this place, ditch of doubt, I believe is what it's called. Take a second there, but ditch of doubt comes in. And, you know, it's similar to what we were talking about earlier, right, Graham? Like that spot where, you know, you can get, you can move through that doubt or you can get stuck. And so if you, you know, see again in that kind of transition curve there, there's a, there's a cycle, right? And that's that cycle that you could possibly get stuck. So there is, right? In those moments, there's a lot that can come up. And I think it also provides a lot of opportunity for change. You know, in some of the grief work that I've done, one of the things that I recognize is grief just changes you. You bet. There is, there is no question that as you walk through it, you're going to change. And ideally it broadens us. We yep. become even right. more. Right. Beautifully we, said. Yep. We become even more buffed out, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. We become fuller. I guess it's the whole resiliency, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, literature and support and I, I think your message is a positive one that we get to we get to grow through these times mm-hmm. if we choose and learn how and focus on that yep yeah, yeah that we we become intentional you know about it go. you know and I think that is the beauty of something like you know therapy I'll say it you know a decent amount to my clients but you showing up yeah is a victory in itself you, you being bet. here, you, you know, whether it's on screen, you have intentionally carved this time yeah. to sit with, move through, you know, whatever it is that's coming up for you. And in this specific space, when it comes to transition, you know, being able to identify that doubt, sometimes yeah. being able to identify that stuck, that yeah. overwhelm to then be able to move through that. You know, I've appreciated, I think, just the idea of movement, you know, and and what it means to just keep moving. I'll throw another personal piece. And this is, you know, one of those things is as I actually just finished uh, a triathlon this last weekend. It's one of the things that keeps me going. It's something I stumbled upon and and years ago and just kind of love it. And at the same time, every time I get towards the end, I find myself going, I got to keep moving. (laughs) I just can't like, this is unreal right now. And my body is screaming at me saying, no, what are you doing? (laughs) And I'm at the place of, I just got to keep moving, you know? And, and it's, it's a, in a personal experience for me, it's one of those. And, you know, I think I take that as well into something like this, especially grief, especially ditch of doubt. You know, the moments of avoidance, the times you can get stuck in that cycle upwards to, you know, what that can lead to the opportunity, you know, like you said, you know, I was beautifully said, Graham, in the sense of, of building, right. Mm-hmm. And what it means to expand, you know, and, and really, you know, increase, you know, that resilience and, and experiences in life. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing those. Oftentimes, you know, we'll ask for a hallmark story, but in reality, you're kind of our hallmark story on the show. You know what, what you've done. You know with your injury, you, you've you've taken your injury and you've kind of sublimated all the energy and opportunities and channeled it into a wonderful career that helps folks journey through probably a lot of what you had to journey through and to really facilitate a growth process for them that you are a model of. And 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 I know you know we're talking today about athletes and high performers dealing with injury and recovery and transitioning into a new identity. But, but these same concepts, you know, when you think about them, they, they apply to everybody going through life. So if you would, as we begin to kind of wind down for today, give, give our listeners a takeaway message about dealing with adversity, growing through hard times and about life being a series of transitions that we actually get to be a part of, be intentional about, like you said, and grow from. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's probably two that I'll, I'll share that, you know, again, I think I just share them a lot personally. This is what I walk through as well as two clients and what that means. You know, I might've dropped this one in the, the earlier podcast as well, but it's one that stuck with me is the idea that a, you are a masterpiece and mm-hmm. a work in progress at the same time. Mm-hmm. That one spoke to me in the performance piece. When coming from an all or nothing perspective that I have to continue to grow, I have to continue to do these things meant that I was not a masterpiece. 
or feeling like maybe I was at a masterpiece moment, you know, then I would stop growing. But just recognizing that they coexist, they need to be mm. together. And it was such a powerful message when I heard that one. And so I, like I hope to, to lay that one out there. The other one I would throw out there is the ability to be curious without judgment. Mm. Stay curious, you know, in regards to, you know, your journey. Stay curious, ask the questions as much as you can without, whether it's the judge, inner critic, those things, but being able to do that within kindness and empathy, I think is a, a lifelong practice that that's good. I, I continue to hone and continue to walk through, but that's good. Yeah, those, those, two, are, those, two. those are, those are great takeaways. Yeah. I'm a masterpiece, but I'm also a work in progress. And let's be curious about our lives without having to bring any judgment or that mm-hmm. that critic, like you talked about earlier, doesn't have to be there. And we get to free ourselves from that that lie that we oftentimes believe falsely and unfortunately. John, I would love our listeners to be able to follow up with you yeah. after today's show. And, and would you please give us the best ways for them to contact you? Yeah, definitely. So for me couple of ways. I've got some access on my website, website, which is johnsteeltherapy.com. Another one, I'm on Facebook at John Steele LMFT. And then as well, uh, LinkedIn, same, John Steele LMFT. If it's helpful, John for me is spelled J-O-N in that way. And yeah. We're not going to put any uh, Tommy those... in front of that, John. We're not going to put any Tommy in front of that, John. Just, <laughs> you can bring up my John. trauma, Graham. You can bring up my trauma. Come but on you already now. passed through it, man. You're way above it. <laughs> I tell myself that, right? <laughs> no, it's true. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, those would be right. Those would be some of the ways to, to contact me and contact info is listed on the website as well. You know, got email address and phone number that's listed there to, to be able to take a look at. But Outstanding. J-O-N-S-T-E-E-L-E. Very good. Well, John, man, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a great time with you and I appreciate all you're contributing to us. Thank you. Appreciate it, Graham. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, brother. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining John and me today. It's always great to have you with us as well. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and an archive of all of our other episodes and resource materials can be found on our webpage at tryathq.com bht. Thanks again for being with us on this show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.